Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day by American comedian and actress Gilda Radner. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. Today, we finish the conversation with Dr. Jonathan Downey. We discuss a little bit about what interpreting really means, what it is, how we can possibly train ourselves to work with real people, and to look at the fact that we need to know what's going on in the situation. How do we understand that situation's culture? So join me now with Dr. Jonathan Downey. What one thing do you wish that all interpreters would stop doing or change? I I almost wish we didn't have the word interpreting because we have made, some people have made, justifiably made careers out of what's different about interpreting, what's different about court interpreting, what's different about this kind of interpreting. And interpreting has become a club and it's become a... I'm trying to get rid of the researcher thing. We call it sui generis. It's become a thing of its own in its own right. And historically, interpreting was done by diplomats. Interpreting was done by uh, Torah teachers in Judaism. Interpreting was done by government officials. And although they, they may have been named as dragoman or meturgamanim, or they had a name, it was always understood that interpreting was an integral part of the functioning of a wider thing. So interpreting, diplomatic interpreting was always seen as an integral part of international diplomacy. Mm-hmm. It was always integrated into the thing it was producing. Uh, the maturgamanim in Jewish synagogues were always seen as an integral part of the, the reading of the Torah and the understanding of the Torah. Mm-hmm. They, yes, they had their own rules and they had their own training, but they were seen as a part of a bigger whole. You couldn't have the maturgamanim without the reading of the Torah. You couldn't have the Egyptian dragomans without the diplomacy. Mm-hmm. But I'm having to rethink how I talk about interpreting because it's as if we can have interpreting without the context in which it exists. We do research on interpreting. And what do we do? We, we transcribe what's been interpreted. We lift it out of the context and we analyze it with corpus software or we analyze it with conversation analysis. Hmm. And so we make, we've made interpreting an object of scientific study or an object of professional discussion as if it can exist outside of the cultures, the communities, the situations, the organizations who actually use it. Mm-hmm. I know why we've done that, and I can see reasons for us doing that, but also then we train interpreters without them ever seeing the people for whom they'll interpret. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong there, because why is it that we suddenly have interpreting as a thing 
that we can lift and organize and train on. Like, how can we possibly do, I'm going to rant here, but how can we possibly do interpreter training away from situations in which interpreters work? Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand you've got basic techniques, but but how did we lift it? How did it become such a thing in its own right that we defend the limits of, so we do things like, uh, human interpreting is always the best solution. No, the best solution is the best solution in that situation, which may not necessarily be human interpreting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The best solution is the one that gets the job done. But because we've made interpreting such a thing, mm-hmm. such a, an object in its own right, we defend our rights as interpreters, sometimes correctly. You know, We defend our working conditions, sometimes correctly. Mm-hmm. But we do so often without reference to the context in which our work takes place. Yeah. So I wish we would see interpreting as this thing that only exists because people want it to exist and only exists because the situations that create it exist. Mm-hmm. And so we rethink, we can rethink interpreting on the basis of it exists because people want it to. Yeah. And it exists as a part of making something happen. Well, our rights are important, our conditions are important, but they matter because they allow us to do the work that people want done. So we don't have a right to say we need these conditions because we're interpreters. We have the responsibility of saying, if you want this to work, here's the way the interpreting has to function. Mm -hmm. And that's a different, completely different um, angle to we have ISO standards you must do everything according to them because we say so no no people don't have to do it because we say so they should do it right because if they do it right they get a better result that they're after mm-hmm. and doing it right is something that we have to negotiate with them does it always does sign language interpreting always have to be in person no it doesn't does sign language interpreting always have to be done by humans uh, does spoken language interpreting always have to be done with £10,000 equipment? No, no, it doesn't. But does it always have to be done in a way that's healthy for the interpreter so that they can keep on interpreting? Yes, it does. That's a different You Let's not make interpreting a sweet, a, a little box that we decorate and put a bow on. Mm-hmm. Let's make interpreting this weird octopus thing that has tentacles everywhere, but only exists. Interpreting exists purely because of its connections to other things. Mm-hmm. And if we could get that reality down, I think we would understand interpreting a lot better. And we probably have a lot more fruitful discussions with clients if we go, oh, we exist because you want us to. Great. Fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that begs a question from a sign language interpreter perspective. During my training, we did work with the deaf community. So we were in situations with them, mock situations as well as real as we gained skill level and experience. For spoken language interpreters, you don't necessarily have that type of practical training. In conference interpreting, it depends on where you train. Mm -hmm. Just after I finished my training, my university started working more with the Scottish Parliament. And they also did uh, a public mini conference at the end of your training where there were actual speakers who were there, who you were interpreting, and the conference was beamed live to any school in Scotland that wants to to see it. So that's fantastic. But it's also remarkably tempting in conference interpreter training to have recordings of speeches read out by lecturers and play the students those recordings. Because you can control them, you can limit them, you can 
um, set them at different skill levels. You can make them according to how you believe interpreters learn. And so you can have, you can do what the experimenters call controlling the variables. But the problem is, is that in real life, the variables aren't controlled. In real life, the variables all come at you at once. The fact that we take, that my university that I trained at now takes interpreters to the Scottish Parliament, super important. That they do the mini conferences, super important. Uh, but it's also kind of how much can you do in your training that allows people to be around real interpreting as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And also in conference interpreting, we haven't yet discovered that communities exist. So conference interpreting traditionally sucks at community awareness because we don't think they exist. Yeah. Of course they exist, but we're just, we just don't do anything with them yeah. yet. Yeah. Whereas sign language interpreting, you forget the deaf community exists. You're not going to go very well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I've not forgotten you. Go to the show notes, click on the links. Don't forget your colleagues. Share this podcast. Support the podcast. Or send me a voicemail and tell me what you want, what you want, what you really, really want. Let's go back to Jonathan and me. As a conference interpreter, do you take into account the conference culture, the conferenceitis that participants have? We should. We don't always. Mm -hmm. So it's why I like church interpreting, because it's very quick in church interpreting. You can key into the culture of the church within five seconds. You've got it. Mm -hmm. Like the first song kicks in and you're like, oh, I know the culture of this church. I'm here. Yeah. Done it. No problem at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, The preacher starts and within two minutes, you're like, oh, he or she is this kind of a preacher. I'm I'm fine. Conferences are different in that you can get some conferences where everyone's going to the same conference every year and they've heard it all a thousand times. Yeah. Or you get a conference where this is the first time these people have been in the same room together. Yeah. And so the speaker's feeling out the audience at the same time that you are. Mm -hmm. And everyone's slightly uncomfortable, but in a sense, that's what makes our work fun. Because when everyone's slightly uncomfortable, we're the people who know best what's happening next because we've prepped. No one else has. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I struggle with situations where everyone in the room knows has known each other for 20 years. Mm. And here's me interpreter coming in for the first time Mm -hmm. with my new headset on. and they start talking about, you know, I, I did a, I, I did two assignments on deep sea fishing, the regulations around deep sea fishing off the coast of various Western European countries. The fishermen and the scientists and the civil servants could walk into the room and go, right, okay, right there, we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the, the long liner cod catch limits in the windsock. And the interpreters are like, one of those is an English word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, and they can they, they can start saying, oh, yeah, um, we need to get the, the vast data up on screen. And then it's like, what? But once you've done one, you, you can do it. First time you get dropped into a demolition conference, you're like, and, and the thing mm-hmm. and the other thing. <laughs> I mean, even if you have the terminology, who's going to find it at high speed the first time? You're like, and the, 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 the breaking thing touches. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're all demolition experts and they know it. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and and I've I've done some hilariously technical stuff. There was once I was doing a distillery tour. If you interpret in Scotland, you're going to do stuff about whiskey. Mm-hmm. Even if the conference is nothing about it, they're going to go to a distillery. <laughs> I, I'm teetotal. It just so happened that my booth mate in one assignment was a paid up full member of the Scotch Whiskey Society. So Pierre tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want me to handle this? And I went, yes. <laughs> and for the entire tour, I was going, smells vaguely of potatoes. <laughs> that was the extent of my knowledge of it smells vaguely potatoes um, and that was it hmm. but again it's, it's the flexibility and I, I love the fact that you know 
churches is great because I roughly know what's going to go on in the church. Mm-hmm. And church interpreting is is like my home away from home. But what I love about conference interpreting is like I got one week where I was in the same Scottish city. I was in Inverse somewhere because there are a few Inverse somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where. Uh-huh. The first uh, two days, I was in Inverse somewhere and we were doing something on tourism. No, sorry. The first two days, I was doing something hugely technical. It was a meeting with executives and, and labour people. Mm-hmm. Came back home, had about two days rest, went back up to an inver somewhere, a same or a different one, I'm not saying which, and we were doing tourism. And so you can go from extremely heated, well, not extremely heated, you can go from really deep safety debate with executives and union reps to tourism, yeah. and that's just life. Yeah. But you have to realise that in both of those situations, those people had been there before Mm-hmm. And especially in the, the executive and union reps, they knew each other and they knew each other's nicknames mm-hmm. and they knew each other's preference for coffee and tea. You know, they could serve each other coffee and tea. And I'm going in there as, as an interpreter with a headset that's just been pulled out of a bag going, hello, welcome to the 55th annual. And it's like, well, of course you're not going to know as much because exactly. Yeah. And you're going to spend the first hour going, I don't know if you get this in sign language interpreting, like people talk about someone and you have to figure out, are they actually in the room? Yes. Like everyone talks about Bob for an hour and you're like, is, is one of you people Bob? Yeah. I haven't worked that out yet. And, and then you work out like three years later, Bob died 10 years ago. Yeah. And you've been saying Bob, Bob, Bob all day and you have no idea who Bob is. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or they, they will say, you know, uh, just to make so-and-so happy and you have no idea who they are. Or why they need to be made happy by everything being on PowerPoint. Exactly. And see, for me, I just went straight to Bob's your uncle, I thought. But <laughs> that's, I, yeah. So, it's really confusing. It, it's really confusing when you're in a meeting and, and they're talking about someone mm-hmm. and they don't have name badges and you have no idea who that is. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And at least half of the time they're talking about someone who's not actually there, mm-hmm. who they all know, who's like well-known in the company for his or her something or other mm-hmm. and they're not even there and you're like um okay as as bob said 10 years ago i think <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's just i mean i've got a couple of stories in my second book about you know you just deal with something becomes a means something and you just get on with it but keying into what on earth is going on is like the number we spend so much time on simultaneous and consecutive yeah I would like to see a training exercise. One day if I do interpretive training, I want to do a training exercise where I set up some people to come in and just talk about something. And the interpreter's job is what on earth is going on? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we, always, we always do our interpreting practice with, you know, uh, this is a meeting in the local chocolate factory about their van fleet. Or mm-hmm. um, this is a speech from so-and-so. No, what really happens in interpreting is you've prepped for a... Uh, uh, th- this is a discussion of the latest trucks just inside the truck company. And you get there and go, why is someone saying I'm so-and-so from the Daily Magazine? Ask, oh, oh, for a press here. They never told me that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, guess what's going on by having two people talk would be a really nice interpreter exercise because it's something that we do an awful lot of. Exactly. Well, that ends the conversation with Dr. Downey. These last few minutes with Jonathan reminds us that interpreting is complicated. It is like language and culture. They go together. They are intertwined. The act of interpreting is intertwined with that situation. And in order to really train ourselves to be better interpreters, 
or even to train new interpreters, they need to know this. They need to realize how to read a situation and how to react appropriately. Sometimes we need to step back and realize it's hard to talk about this thing we call interpreting without including the people involved. It's not the easiest task in the world, interpreting, but that complication and working with people can be enjoyable. Sometimes it's all about Bob. We have to understand who Bob is, what Bob is doing, and why he's doing it, and why he's saying what he's saying. And then Bob's your uncle. I mean, and then everything will be all right. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Take care now.